you are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. everybody and to you and to you online we're glad that you're joining us today as you already know we are doing communion today so I'm gonna lead you through taking those elements today and so just so you know if you're not ready here today to consume those things if you need to do some praying in your heart you're welcome to do that take it home if you're online and you want to participate with us in community if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and a part an active part of the church uh, then, then grab some juice and a bread and join us. And if you're out there and you love us to bring it to you, I'd love to bring communion to you, and we can do that together. So just let us know in the comment section or call us here at church. We're going to be in James 5 today. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. Welcome to life. Uh, we say this every week. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we strive to live out that identity through four different values by practicing love with everyone always, by giving more than what makes sense, by chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and by anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's word. That's who we are. That's who we're striving to be. Just a few things that I want you to know. Number one is the, out in the, t- the table outside, there's a kids activity. If you're in here, you have kids, you're welcome to grab those activity bags. Listen, uh, as we know from last week with my kids, right? We can, uh, we, there's the unexpected that happens in here, but we welcome kids to be in here. I just had somebody text me this week and saying, hey, my, my son came up to me and said, hey, I learned something from Pastor Steve last week that, that money can make us forget about God. And so that's astonishing. I think that we have to recognize our kids can hear and they can get things out of something like this. So feel free to grab those bags if you want to. Secondly, if you're uncomfortable being around a lot of people, particularly in this season, just know that we have additional seating in our coffee lounge that is down the way. If you're at home and you want to be here but are afraid to be around other people, just know there's some seclusion, a little bit more isolation down the hallway there. All right, well, let's get into James today. We're going to read James chapter 5. This is it verses 13 through 20, so it'll be on the screen. Feel free to join us in your Bible as well. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Praise us. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just come before you today in just great submission to this word. It is flourishing. It is good. It is right for our living. And so, Spirit, we just pray today that you would just move in our lives, convict us, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Let your word go forth in our lives and make a difference. And we pray all of this through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So our last week in the book of James, we have been in this book for three months studying the contents of this really practical and wise book. Uh, And so this morning, what I'm going to do is going to take some time here to sort of condense all the wisdom here in chapter, these five books, into uh, just a little bit of a review. And then we want to turn our attention to the last seven verses in chapter five. And so we're going to do two things, review and look at these seven verses. And we're going to do it in two different ways, first to our kids and then to all of us here. So where are my kids at today? Can I get a wave? Thank you. Okay. You can wave to... (laughs) Thanks, Ellie. I appreciate that. This today... I should say, we are going to talk about James, and he's going to tell us that God's wisdom is not only right, not only perfect, but it's good. And maybe you hear this word wisdom, and you think, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is like putting a beautiful puzzle together. Maybe you have a favorite puzzle at home. We have a 48-puzzle piece puzzle of the nativity right now that we're going through. Wisdom is the ability to put the pieces of your life in the right order, in the right spots to make a picture of your life. The Bible says that God's wisdom is so good that it makes the most beautiful picture when we put it all together in our lives. And so maybe when you're at home, your mom and dad might tell you, hey, you're going to get in trouble if you do this. Or if you don't do this, it's not going to go well for you. Understand this, that your mommy and daddy are trying to help you understand good wisdom. And they're trying to help you live and be a successful, good adult. Okay? So we're going to talk about wisdom today and how good it is from God. And I'm going to give you five words. All right? Five words to listen to today. The first word is freedom. These are in your activity back. Care, flourishing, wisdom and trust. And here's the good news. If you get them all right, and you get how many I wrote, Dan Dunnick has a Ford Escort that he will gladly give to you, okay? (laughs) He will gladly give them to you. (laughs) All right, let's head into this. More than any other book in the New Testament, James tells us what is necessary of believers to act according to the faith that we proclaim. He tells us the good wisdom and how our life can mirror our faith. And James is particularly concerned about uh, patience in the midst of our trials and suffering. Uh, He is concerned about our treatment of the less fortunate, the way that we speak and relate to others, and how riches and money are a part of how we live our lives. James educates us on what it means to live as someone of faith. And so as you grew up, maybe like me, when you went and visited a place, your parents might say this, or growing, they might say, hey, when we go in here, this is what we're going to do. When we walk into the stores, this is how we're going to act. If we visit our friends for the holidays, this is what you're going to do, and this is what you're not going to do, because this is what we do as a family. And if you were like me and blessed like me, you had a mother who could just look at you from across the room and kill you, right? 
when you didn't. You know, if you watch Star Wars, Darth Vader can crush people just with their hand. My mom didn't even do that, right? She just could kill you with her look from across the room. And now I'm thinking about this. I'm hopeful my mom never hears this. So <laughs> hopefully. Here's what we knew that was on the other sides of those sort of statutes and the decrees to, to obey. On the other side of it were consequences. That if I didn't do this, I wouldn't get this. Or if I didn't do that, surely at home I was going to hear about it and maybe even feel it. My good behavior was tied to the fear of consequences, of being disciplined, of not getting what I wanted or getting something that I love taken away from me. And so it's really not surprising that we carry this sort of ideology into our relationship with God. Do this sort of behavior or prepare yourself for the consequences. In the same way that our parents sort of laid out an ethic, a behavior that was beneficial for us in life, our scriptures lay out an ethic, a behavior that is befitting Christians, people who live faith-filled. There's a style, there's a pattern, there's a behavior for God's people here on earth that he desires us to live by. A people whom God has called sojourners, aliens. What he's implying is that this isn't our true home. That we don't live here, we're just merely visiting. And while we are here, there is a manner in which you should act. There is a character that you should live by. You should live by the standards of your true home. Because as Christians, we are citizens of heaven. First and foremost, we belong to a different kingdom, the kingdom of God more than we belong to this earthly kingdom. That is our true home. And so, what motivates us? What motivates us to behave like we are in our true home? Because it's unfortunate, seemingly, that the motivation for us in living under our true king and our true kingdom comes from the same motivation that moved us to obey our parents. Do this or else. We see God as saying, do this or else. Don't do that or I might make an example of you. Do this and I'll give you something good. What motivates us and inspires us to live by the commands and the decrees that we find here in James and the rest of Scripture? Like, is it gratitude? Is that what motivates us? To understand what Christ has done for us his work and his sacrifice to live in a way that honors him as if somebody stepped in front of me and took a bullet and in their doing they died. Do I now live my life to honor that sacrifice and legacy? Maybe our motivation is fear. Maybe it's out of fear. God tells me I got to do this. And if I don't do that, he's going to discipline me. He's going to punish me. If I don't do that, I'm not going to get the things that I want, or he's going to make an example of me. And if I'm bad enough, God is going to send me to hell. And just based off risk analysis, we might say, I'm going to obey God because of that. Gratitude and fear of the Lord are certainly parts of the reasonings why we should prioritize the way and the words of Christ. We cannot minimize the scale of God's sacrifice for us where we're not consistently awed at what he's done for us. 
I mean, we remember Paul saying this, but God proved his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. Let us never cease being astonished at a God out of an act of love who would willfully die for somebody like you and me. Nor can we diminish God's holiness and authority and perfection by belittling his commands and his statutes to be, as Scripture calls us, to be image bearers of God, but yet in our living bear little image of God. That is to mock God. That is to deny our creator. And again, Paul reminds us of the futility of that living. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will also reap. And so listen, don't ever hear me say that God is not innately innately without cause, worthy of our worship, of our gratitude. And don't mistake me of ever saying that our God is not worthy of our fear. Scripture says that the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But I will tell you this, that if in your doing and living, the wisdom of somebody like James that he's called us to, and the wisdom of Scripture simply revolves around gratitude and fear, it will grow to be an insufficient motivation in your life. To walk in fear and yet at the same time be thankful seems a touch sadistic. I have never once been thankful for a bully in my life. And I know that in my own life, I far too often don't listen and obey the authority figures in my life. And I am woefully underappreciative of the practices and the habits of people in my life's attitudes and behaviors towards me. And so does James say these things that we, we should obey these things considering who God is and what he's done for you and what he could do to you? Not quite. Over and over and over again, James points us to a big God that deserves our gratitude and our respect and our praise, one that deserves our reverence and our fear. God is mysterious. His plans are mysterious. His ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. We should worship him in light of his power and sights. And we should adore him that despite our lacking and our brokenness, that through our faith in Jesus, we are adopted sons and daughters of God. We are in the family of God. Yet, James continuously points us back to a wisdom that is not just a wisdom that God wills and wants as one that we should adore and fear. But listen, brothers and sisters, It comes from a place of understanding that God knows what's best. And God wants his children to flourish. You know, think about this just as a parent. As a good parent, we want to create children who don't just obey us simply because they fear that they might get consequences or they are grateful to us because we simply give them whatever they want. We want our children to be disciplined and see our wisdom in a way that they understand that this is wise and good for you. This will promote flourishing in your life later. I know this is difficult for you to understand now, but this will be good for you as an adult. And I am in love with you so much that I'm willing to discipline you to help you understand that. A good parent always takes discipline to the heart level. Always takes it to the heart level to to help our kids understand why going to bed on time is a good thing. Why doing this thing or that thing is good. 
because we want them to thrive as adults. And so James speaks to us about a God who is a good father. Above all things, that he's a good father who loves his children and wants good and right and flourishing things for us. A good father that wants joy and satisfaction in our life. A good father that says, this is right, this is better, this is flourishing. And I'm completely aware that in this room are many who who have not experienced a good father in your life. And I would just beg you that you do not put the lens of your earthly father onto that of our heavenly and good father. James over and over and over again speaks of his wisdom, but he speaks of the character of God. Think about in chapter one when we hear, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. It's joy in that. He says, boast in your lowness for you will be made high. It'll be for your good. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. He says, the anger of a person does not produce the righteousness of God. James says, but the one who looks at the perfect law and preserves being a hearer, not just a hearer, but a doer, they will be blessed in their doing. James says, what good is it, (laughs) my brothers and sisters, if someone has faith but does not have works? He says that the wisdom from above, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good faith, fruits, impartial and sincere. James says, God opposes the proud, but it's to the humble that he gives his grace. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And he says that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Time and time again, James connects the Christian life to living as Jesus, not always as something that we should do out of our reverence for God, and that we are grateful for his work and his redemption, but also because God is a good father. And he knows what is right and good and flourishing for you and I. So, again, over and over, let us learn this. Faith, faith comes down far less to our gritty obedience. And it becomes more about how fully am I willing to trust God, that he's good and he's sufficient and that he's right no matter the circumstances of my world. James is saying in all these areas of concern for the church, patience and trials, how we treat those who are less fortunate, what we say and how we relate to others and the role that money plays in our life, that the profound good and flourishing wisdom comes from God. And he is a good father that not only should be revered, not only should we be grateful for, but we should also trust that his wisdom is supreme. And so as a citizen of this earth, sometimes we're fed this line, this belief uh, that, that freedom is really ours to possess. That freedom, 
comes with me being able to do what I want to do, choose what I want to choose. We hold that principle with great esteem, specifically in this world. But when we read the scriptures, we begin to understand that the type of freedom that we esteem is really an illusion because we aren't free, in fact. The scripture says that we are slaves to sin. So the only real freedom that we have apart from Christ in this fallen world is the freedom to choose what ultimately enslaves me. There seems to be this idea in having a relationship with God that if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to give up a lot and I'm going to have to stop having the fun that I might want to have if I'm going to follow him. But listen, freedom is not the virtue of the world. Freedom is a virtue of God. And we have been cleverly convinced that it is not. Freedom isn't freedom when we can only choose one thing. The only thing that creation can choose without a relationship with a redeeming God is its own sinful self. And so, is it freedom really when the only thing that I can choose is what is sinful and what wraps around my own desire to worship myself? And so listen, we say this quite often here. I've heard David speak this, one of our elders. You know, Christianity is not about being sinless. It's about the ability to choose something other than sin. William Barclay writes this as a great quote. Christian freedom does not mean being free to do as we like. It means being free to do as we ought. We have the freedom through Christ to choose something other than ourselves, to die to ourselves, to carry our cross, to follow after him. And you say, that sounds horrible. (laughs) Who wants to sign up to that? But little do we realize that is good and flourishing and right. It is a far more substantial life in worshiping God, living for him and others than serving ourselves. Our faith in Christ awakens us to the ability to choose something other than ourselves, to choose something other than worshiping myself, to choose a wisdom that is flourishing and good and powerful. That is freedom. Christians, we have freedom to choose the good, flourishing, right wisdom of God. And so James writes this practical, deep wisdom of what is right and good for all believers to hear and implement in their life. And then as a way of wrapping it up, James says, above all these things, like, take care of one another. I just, I just find James to be just incredibly beautiful. This is, this is the way that James wants to conclude his letter. Care for one another. Listen to what I had to say, but listen, it comes down to this. Care for one another. Enjoy one another. If you are struggling, pray. If you are cheerful, sing songs of praises. And maybe you're not a great singer, but that's okay, right? It seems so simple, this whole formula, to take God as his word, that when we have bad things in our lives, that we would pray about it. And when good things happen to our lives, that we would be cheerful and praise him for us. Praise him for it. But there's such a hesitancy in our lives to admit that we are in need. To cry out to our God in our times of desperation. To reveal the hurt and the griefs 
in our lives because we often don't want to be seen as weak or not in control, or we have this false belief that if I don't talk about it, I'll never have to deal with it. But there's also a hesitation for us to to give praise and esteem to somebody outside of ourselves when good things happen. That we would defer praise on to somebody else. But listen, it's not mere submission that God wants, nor the prestige of our praises. It's in remembering this, that in our best times and in our worst times, that God is near and he's attentive and he deserves our trust. And James, at the end of this letter, talks about sickness. That if you're sick, don't do this alone. Call the elders of the church, the leaders in the church. Let them pray over them and bring oil. And there's two sort of different ideas in this passage of of bringing oil. One is that the oil is medicinal in nature, which it is. In that day and age, olive oil would have been used as a tincture to treat lots of different things. The second is that the oil is sacramental in nature, meaning that it was about doing something in the name of the Lord to ask for his supernatural power. I think that it just happens that it's both, that we should use the good wisdom that God has allowed on this earth to create medicines and things that can benefit us, but also that we understand that God is the author of life in our plan. And that we should pray to him for healing. There seems to be a combination here that we should be readily, avail- readily able to use worldly medicine to cure sickness when it's wise and when it's available. But also pray to God for his intervention because he's the author. And so we don't just focus on our physical healing, but we focus on our spiritual healing. And so James mentions praying here in chapter 5. At the end of this, he says, pray for one another that you may be healed. And I think it's important that we always come back to this, that when James says that if you pray with faith, you're going to be healed, James is not saying that it's necessarily the will of God that every time we pray for healing, God heals that person. This is a double connotation here. It's talking about physical health and spiritual health. James is talking about confessing our sins. So this is about being healed spiritually as much as it is physically. Whether or not God heals somebody is not up to us. I've read this week somebody said, sometimes we don't pray for God to heal people because we're afraid of what it might do to his reputation. That if God doesn't heal this person and it goes terribly wrong, then God will look bad. And then this person said, God's reputation is in his own hand. It's not determined by you. We should pray for people as if we believe that God is going to heal them. But we don't know whether that healing is going to be physical or spiritual. And then James wraps up this letter by calling us not to neglect in our community with one another people who go astray. Don't be spectators as you walk people, walk outside of the flourishing wisdom of God. Be somebody who loves someone enough to with grace and true walk, truth walk into their life and want better for them. To want better for them and want them to be a part of your community. And so here's how we're, we're going to sum up this wisdom today. 
Here's how we're going to end James today. I want you to take out your communion cups. I want to remind us of what we're committing ourselves to and the wisdom that we're committing ourselves to that is both good and flourishing and right, that we would take this sacrament together as a people of a body of Christ who are committed to one another and committed to God. And so it's because of the risen Christ. It's because of the risen Christ that we can join together as a community of broken but hopeful people who seek to love what he loved, to live what he taught, and to strive to be faithful servants in our time, in our place, with his people. In this meal, we remember Jesus, and we remember his promise. We remember the price that he paid for us, who he was, what he did, and what he said. On the night before he died, Jesus took the loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. Whatever you do, do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup and poured it out saying, this is the new covenant, remember me. So today we do remember. We do remember our good father. We do remember his good sacrifice. We do remember his flourishing wisdom. We do remember his love. We do remember his friendships, his teaching, his dying, and his raising to life again. And in sharing this meal together, we proclaim our shared faith. And in that proclamation, it says that Christ has died, that Christ has arisen, and Christ will come again. And so will you take the body of Christ with me out from this all-too-well-sealed package and join me. Take and eat. The body of Christ, the bread of life. The juice represents the lifeblood of Christ, the cup of blessing. Take it and drink. These are the This is a gift from God for his people. And we are thankful for these gifts. And so today, we esteem James, the brother of Jesus, who faithfully and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote us profoundly wise words from a good and loving father. And we should take heed of those words and that wisdom, yes, because of what Christ has done for us. Yes, because God is perfect and holy, has authority. He is to be feared and revered, but also because we believe that Jesus Christ gives us the flourishing wisdom of a good life on earth. That doesn't mean it'll always be reflected in our circumstances. Bad things do happen. But he is still good, and he is still wise, and he is still loving. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you today, and we gaze on the cross and understanding what your broken body and your shed blood means for us. 
We are your people because of that sacrifice. And Lord, let us in our faith believe and trust in a wisdom, in a way that is really freedom, that we can choose something other than ourselves because we believe that you are far more satisfying and lovely and good than anything else that we could find on this world. And so, Lord, we lift up your name today and praise you as our king. And we pray this through our precious Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.